and welcome to the Friday Five here on the Agent Survival Guide podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Rupel, and this is our weekly recap of headlines that agents should know about. This is our first full episode in what feels like a little bit, and it's also the first Friday of September. I don't know about you, but it does not feel like it should be September just yet. But here we are, on the cusp of Labor Day weekend, with a pretty decent list of things to talk about this week. Where I should probably start, number one is usually a good place, but with Medicare drug price negotiation, the new program that, through the Inflation Reduction Act, gives Medicare the ability to negotiate prices on drugs with the highest spending. The included drugs on this first list And these are in order from the most expensive on down. Eliquis, Jardiance, Zarelto, Genuvia, Farziga, Entresto, Enbril, Imbruvica, Stellara, and then several fast-acting insulins. So Fiasp, Fiasp FlexTouch, Fiasp PenFill, Novolog, Novolog FlexPen, and Novolog PenFill. This initial list of negotiables are used to treat a variety of conditions, so blood clots, arthritis, heart failure, and diabetes, to name a few. CMS looked at drug costs accrued between June 1, 2022 and May 31, 2023 to inform their list. The drugs CMS selected made up $50.5 billion in Part D gross-covered prescription drug costs. That $50.5 billion equals out to about 20% of the total gross-covered prescription drug expenditures in the Part D program. We will be linking to more information on the drug list, including breakdowns of cost and beneficiary use for each of those drugs in our episode notes. The process of negotiating and reducing these drug prices will take some time. Really, the process has only just begun, and then changes will go into effect for coverage year 2026. Also important to note, several drug companies have pursued legislation either against the program or in an attempt to protect their constitutional rights. Number two, Apple announced their Wonderlust event this week. That will be held on Tuesday, September 12th at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, so 1 p.m. Eastern Time. And if you need me during that time frame, well, you know what I'll be watching. As always, Apple's invite to the event usually features some clues in the design about what they'll be releasing. Sometimes those clues are super obvious, other times they're a bit more obtuse. This time around, though, the infamous Bitten Apple is made up of super fine pixels in a silvery gray and blue, with some faint hints of gold and gray on a black background. These colors most likely point to the colors available in the new, higher-end models, so the iPhone 15 Pro and the iPhone 15 Pro Max. There have been rumors of Apple replacing the material used to trim the sides of the iPhone Pro lineup. 
That is currently stainless steel, but the rumor is that they are switching to titanium. Now, Macworld published a synopsis of the invite earlier this week, and they pointed out that when creating products with titanium, it is usually done with titanium powder, quote, a very fine substance used to make parts with little waste, end quote. And we know that Apple has been diligently working on sustainability lately. Now, at this event, we can expect news on, of course, the iPhone 15, the Apple Watch, and an official release date for iOS 17, the newest operating system. One other thing I want to highlight about the announcement, I'm not going to go into too many of the rumors because there are quite a few, but this year is definitely the year that Apple is expected to finally ditch the lightning cable and go with the industry standard USB-C. So that will either make you really happy because you can use your Switch or Kindle charging cord for your new iPhone 15, or it will make you not so happy that you need to replace your existing lightning cables with USB-C cables so you can charge your new iPhone 15 in your car or at the office like you're used to. As previously mentioned, I plan to watch the event and I will definitely be back next week to talk about all of the new releases coming from Apple this fall. Number three, I recently saw a headline that brought me to an advice column. And before you get too judgy, just let me say, this is not something I read often, but this particular letter and headline was from someone who doesn't have a smartphone. They're pretty adamant in that decision, but also a little annoyed that everyone assumes that they have a smartphone. Now, was I double-checking that it wasn't from my less-than-tech-savvy parent? Well, perhaps. And when I confirmed it wasn't them, well, I definitely felt a little bit better. But the question still made me pause and think. So naturally, I had to talk about it here. The woman writing in owns a flip phone. And not one of those fancy new flip phones, the kind that only makes phone calls and sends out text messages, not a smartphone. She also happens to care for her mother, who does not have a smartphone either. The letter was written after an employee at a doctor's office assumed that they could send the link to a virtual appointment to her mother's phone. And then when she informed the employee that her mother does not have a cell phone, the employee again assumed that they could send the link to that virtual appointment to the woman's phone for her mother. I'm sure you can probably understand why the woman lost it just a little bit. Now, I feel like most agents probably get this out of the way really early on in the conversation but I can't help but mention it here. The proper approach in this situation is to first ask how the person wants to be interacted with before you get to scheduling a meeting. It is a super simple ask. Do you prefer to be contacted by phone, text, or email? Usually, just by asking that question, you'll get a good idea of how to proceed. If they say phone, Chances are they don't want you to send them a link to a virtual call. 
They want you to dial their number, area code first, and call them. And it's probably likely that you'll be calling a landline. As I said, I have one such parent who does not have a cell phone. They will likely never own a cell phone, much less a smartphone, if it can be helped. So I definitely sympathize with the person who asked this question. And this is coming from someone who fangirls over everything new that Apple releases. You know, we are huge proponents of technology here at Ritter, but we're also huge proponents of people, conversation, and the time it takes to ask a question like this can really benefit the relationship you have with your client down the road. Number four, last week, three organizations announced their plans to merge and create one umbrella organization, essentially. The National Association of Insurance and Financial Advisors, the Society of Financial Service Professionals, and Life Happens are planning to unify all three brands under the NAFA name, pending approval by members of each individual organization. Kevin Mayu, CEO of NAFA, would take the reins of the new organization with plans for each organization to keep their names and branding, which is a very smart move because, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, this is the 20th anniversary of Life Insurance Awareness Month, and Life Happens has done a fantastic job of growing their annual campaign that aims to educate consumers about life insurance. They have built a lot of brand awareness for themselves while doing it. According to the release, NAFA and FSP share about 1,000 members between their organizations. Members of FSP will become NAFA members when the merger solidifies, and we will be linking to that press release with more information in our notes. Number five, it has been 122 days since the Writers Guild of America went on strike, hitting pause on production around the country. While on strike, WGA members are not getting paid, and the longer the strike goes on, the more the financial strain takes a toll. I am not a member of the WGA, but I have considered joining a few times over the years. I've just never actually done it. Fun fact, my BA is in professional writing, so I really do feel a spirit of camaraderie with the writers as they strike. And something happened this week that warmed my heart and also made me laugh quite a bit, so I had to share that as well. The late-night hosts we've all come to know and love have joined forces to create a podcast that will benefit their writers who are currently out of work because of the WGA strike. Stephen Colbert, Jimmy Fallon, Jimmy Kimmel, Seth Meyers, and John Oliver have teamed up to host Strike Force 5, a weekly podcast where they chat about what's been happening during the week. And apparently, the five of them have been meeting for a Zoom call on a weekly basis since the strike began in May. And Strike Force 5 was literally born out of that weekly call. 
They plan to release at least 12 episodes, and each week, one of them will host to sort of wrangle the conversation and keep the group focused. All of the money raised through the podcast will go to the staff writers of the five late-night shows. We will be linking to that show in the notes. If you've been missing your late-night fix, well, you can listen to Strike Force 5 anytime. Or you can save it and listen during the same time you would normally watch your favorite late-night talk show. And bonus, you get to support all of those writers. That is all we've got for this week's show. Really looking forward to a three-day weekend, and I hope you have a great one. Stay healthy and stay safe out there, and we will see you next week. The Agent Survival Guide podcast is a production of Ritter Insurance Marketing, an integrity company. This episode was written and produced by me, Sarah Rupel, script editing by Tina Lamaru. Podcast designed by Urban Rivera, artwork by Vivian Zhao. Follow along with us wherever you like to listen.